Welcome to Most Innovative Companies. I'm your host, Yasmin Gagne, joined by my producer, Josh Christensen. Hey, Josh. Hey, Yas. Josh, what is the brand that you would say you are most loyal to, that you will never the brand? quit? Oh, that's a good question. Man, I love an REI store that I will ride and die for REI, uh, which I, I don't like think is- I feel like our guest, Jeff, is going to hard agree with that. <laughs> I think that's great. I love I love an REI. I'm also it's you know this is such a I don't really like the brand in terms of what their their like ethos is and their like style is, but they're the only pants that I found like consistently fit my body type right and it's bird dogs. Do you remember that? Horrible. I can't believe they're still around. Their whole thing is so shitty, but <laughs> Never go away, bird dogs. I love your pants. They're such good pants for my body. I'm a tall, broad, like, guy. I really struggle finding pants that are my length, but also not 8,000 times larger than me. Bird dogs gets it right every time. Really, rethink your whole branding. Anyways, but Yaz, what what brand are are you most loyal to? And I'm assuming it's not Black & Decker, given the construction that's happening above <laughs> you right now, if listeners can hear. I think um, for me, it's like condiments, pro- you know, like pick condiments? Heinz Ke- no, like as in I'd pick like Heinz ketchup. Oh, OK. Every time, you know, so you're not like, like a Sir Kensington ketchup fan. You have no, to do Heinz. That. Are you kidding me? You don't that like an organic so homemade annoying. ketchup? No. Yeah, they are really annoying. If I want Who ketchup, I want it to be like, like, I don't want to have any hint of actual tomato. Absolutely not. I want it to be bright red and and it doesn't separate. It's like organic peanut butter. I, I just give me Jiffy. I do like organic peanut butter, actually. But OK, so condo, anything else besides condiments that you are most loyal to? I trust most things from Trader Joe's. Like, I feel okay. like I, whole, I wholeheartedly endorse. And yeah. I know people found rocks in their food recently. But, <laughs> that is the but thing that's okay. that And then there's like a lot of makeup brands where I'm like, not that I wear a ton of makeup, but like I grew up watching my mom always wear Chanel lipstick. So in my head, I'm like, oh, that's like what I should like have one you know i feel like that's a pretty common thing makeup is something that like for people who who, you know folks who wear makeup there are brands that like people swear by and 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 die by and that's their go-tos yeah exactly so we're going to be talking about brands that matter very soon but before we get to it any housekeeping yeah so we just have a couple things that i want to call out to our audience we want to hear from you and what you think about the show who you want to want us to interview or topics you want to talk about more. So if you want to let us know how we're doing, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just seriously, tell us what you want to hear, what you've liked. Be nice, though, because uh, we're delicate and we can't take too much criticism. So be constructive in what you want to hear. And also, if you don't want to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Hit us up on Instagram. We're both there. We're both following. We're, we're going to be trying to do some more uh, Instagramming and social media stuff and trying to connect to our listeners a bit more. So you can follow Yaz at G on Instagram. That's at Y-A-Z-Z-Y-G, uh, and, which is still my favorite screen name ever. It just rolls off the tongue. And I'm at the Joshua Chris on Instagram as well. So slide into our DMs. Let us know what you want to hear. We are um, both sort of famously horrible at Twitter, so we're trying something new. X. <laughs> X, X. Sorry. So later on today's episode, I'll be talking with Bobby. 
Bobby Kim, aka Bobby Hundreds, about celebrating 20 years of his streetwear brand, The Hundreds. But first, today is the day Fast Company's Brands That Matter issue and, and online package is out. And here to chat about it is Fast Company Senior Staff Editor, Jeff Beer. Hey, Jeff. Hi. Let's go over what this package actually is. What is Brands That Matter? Well, First, thanks, Josh Jazz, for having me on the podcast. This is a very exciting day. On the podcast again. Yeah, not since Barbenheimer have. I, I don't have my Barbies in my office anymore, <laughs> uh, but uh, but they are here in spirit. Speaking of strong, powerful brands. Um, no, Brands That Matter is our recognition program that aims to recognize companies that really build connection with their audience uh, through their brands by being culturally relevant, by making an an impact through social causes and throughout all that communicating their their mission and values clearly now that might come off a little like this is the uh the brand purpose awards or the yeah the like kinda, the patagonia awards yeah, yeah 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 but it's not really and when i say when I, my definition of brand purpose is is more about self awareness is about like what is what, what is that individual brand's purpose and how well are they executing on that and connecting with the people that they want to connect with. And that to me is like the bar. Uh, this year we have 165 honorees. There's 68 general excellence winners that we pick out of all the different categories of which there are 30 categories. And in that general excellence list, the kind of one we poach brands from kind of all different industries and product categories, we've kind of segmented them off into these themes uh, of uh, whether it's like mind and body for, for a lot of beauty or, or education brands to state of play, which really looks at brands that tap into fandom across whether it's sports or video games. Oh, I so love that. A big mix. I mean, it's interesting. You guys were talking about the brands earlier at the top of the show. And, you know, I could hear across the different, like whether it's uh, Josh's pants or your ketchup. They're just out of context. <laughs> Josh, <laughs> what brands that kids. matter? Josh's pants. Josh's pants matter, man. <laughs> I'm starting a D2C company that's <laughs> called Josh's Pants. But speaking of themes, I mean, you look at all these brands, I mean, and a lot of it is apples and oranges because we're talking about different industries and different types of, of brands. But really, I think there's brands that resonate an emotional level, like you're kind of almost illogically tied to to a brand because of how it makes you feel. I mean, you, you kind of touched on that with the, I think, did you say Chanel lipstick? I did say Chanel lipstick. Okay, good. Yes. So that with your mom and that's sort of an emotional, but Josh is clearly not emotionally tied to, to bird dog. It's more, that's a, <laughs> no, a, a, anti. So this is purely utilitarian. Yeah, yeah. That, but that's a product. Like the product fits you so well that that is, that's where your loyalty lies. And I think then there's the the kind of perfect storm brands that mix like that product fit and the emotional sort of connection that's a little bit of the the magic it's it's tougher to explain but the nostalgia factor is is just a huge thing with like the Chanel lipstick I just heard, and now I feel like our now like Yaz and I are of uh you know mid generation millennials we're like peak nostalgia marketing right now like uh, i just saw did you see that craft macaroni is re-releasing the spongebob shape to their craft no, macaroni and cheese that's awesome. and it's Actually. all about millennials and stuff but that's a perfect example of a brand just being like these fucking millennials they'll, they'll <laughs> buy our shit if we put spongebob in it well it's funny like i was just talking to uh and they're this is they're not on the list but they're a very strong brand magic spoon you know the the the, the yeah, sort of healthy uh -huh. cereal yeah their whole thing was kind of instagrammy you know 
but also using the junk cereal nostalgia with a new twist of yeah. being less sugar. They just came out yeah. with treats, like, and they called them treats. They're basically a Magic Spoon Rice Krispie treat. And they are basically telling me they made them to be like a throwback to those kind of first wave cereal bars and, so and Rice Krispie good. treats that with like the Rice drizzle Krispie on top so and all good. that. Oh. Have you tried them? Yes. Are good. they good? They're pretty good. I yeah. went off Magic Spoon because I once, like the only snack I had in the office when we were in the office full time was a a box of Magic Spoon that somebody gave me and I ate it all dry in handfuls <laughs> over the course of like a month. <laughs> Just, I love a good cereal, like, dry cereal snack. <laughs> Absolutely. If the cereal can hit dry, you know it's good. And, and maybe you got to oh, yeah. it after a box. Uh-huh. But. Yeah. Magic Spoon is another company that's like a hardcore podcast advertiser, which they yeah. really like. It's one of those brands, which <laughs> we is interesting. Them to I mean, sponsor this podcast at any oh, time. Oh, yeah, please. Magic Spoon, Magic Spoon, come on. Hit us up. Hit us up. I took a left turn down now, away from brands that matter for a minute, but we, we do have a huge mix of brands that vary from. Like, I feel like a brand, like in terms of that loyalty, both on the product side and the emotional side, like uh, people won't necessarily think of this as maybe as a consumer brand, but like Blumhouse, right? Oh, that's my, I wrote about that. Yeah. Oh, hey, look at that tie-in. We're all <laughs> synergy. Yeah. And if you go back and listen to last week's episode, there's an interview from Festival, uh, from Fast Company Innovation Festival that uh, Yaz did with with Jason Blum. Blumhouse gets a lot of love on this podcast. Yeah. Blumhouse gets a lot of love. I haven't heard last week's, but I will say that when you hear that, like you, there's the individual film marketing and how, but the work that they've done to both their product has done this because of the quality, but also just the way they market themselves. It's a Blumhouse production. Like if you're a fan of, of, of one of their films and you, you're not quite sure who the director is of the next one, but you see it's a Blumhouse film. They have that that brand now that is that is super strong. It's almost like uh, it's like the film version of a really strong indie uh, record label where you're like, I don't know this band, but they're on this label, so I'm going to check it out. Yeah. As far as other brands that have stood out, I mean, PlayStation is on this list, which I have an incredible amount of loyalty to due to my PlayStation 2 days from my childhood. Mm-hmm. But tell yeah, me why I they're on the, the list way. this year. Well, the brand itself has, I mean, like you say, it's it has a lot of historical tr- strength. Uh, but really, I mean, in terms as a cultural brand, they've really sort of leaned into this past year. They had HBO aired The Last of Us, which is a huge uh, joint production between Sony Pictures and PlayStation. That's based on a, on a 2013 hit video game. Uh, Pedro Pascal starred in it, and it was awesome. It's also this year on the uh, that's a sort of on the culture side on the product side. Uh, it came out with uh, an access controller, which makes playing video games more accessible to people who have a hard time using the the traditional controller. So that's just a quick version of why. But like we thought that mix of like the cultural cachet with the 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 product development and sort of broadening the tent of who can be a gamer, who can enjoy their products, was a cool combo. I love that. So tell me about how Coors Light ended up on this list. And I say this also, my grandma had a cat named Coors. And when the cat died, she got a a white cat named Coors Light. (laughs) That's That's awesome. So she she had Coors Original. And then Coors Light, yep. that's amazing. Coors Light, yeah. <laughs> that's why they're on the list. Uh, that someone would name their cat Coors and Coors Light is pretty amazing. And speaking of things that aren't quite beer related, <laughs> one of the things that, that that Coors Light has done is really they've found a way to sort of lean into the kind of 
I mean, light beer, let's be honest, is kind of one of the funnier, goofier advertising categories, brand categories, or or should be anyway. And they've really, I really liked how over the last year they've leaned into that with uh, their partnership with Patrick Mahomes and how Mm -hmm. NFL players aren't allowed to explicitly endorse alcohol in in, in advertising. So they came up with this... uh, one they came up with is, was the Coors Light and uh, or the Coors Light Light, and it's a flashlight uh, that is looks like it's the same color as the can of Coors Light. And they did a whole commercial, and it's all the whole wink, wink, whatever. And the thing sold yeah. out in like minutes, obviously, and all the proceeds go to uh, Mahomes' foundation. Uh, did the same thing with the Coors Light Bear. He's, he's he was endorsing the bear, not the beer, and it was like a a, a golf. Uh, what do you call those things? Like the, I want to call it a koozie, but it's not head cover for golf clubs. And that sold out again. So it's like, they're not only are they sort of making fun of the whole, it's a little bit of meta advertising, but they also are creating the products that they're kind of joking about and actually allowing people to buy it. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think increasingly that's an example of, you know, brands used to make lots of jokes and stunts and whatever, but you actually have to follow through. You have to pull the thread until it's done. Like you got to make the thing and you got to let your fans buy the thing. And, you know, obviously this is for charity, but like the follow through on the joke on the bit was huge. Committing to the bit is a big deal. I, you know, speaking of Mahomes, the NFL is on the list, right? Yes, the NFL. The NFL is on the list. Obviously, it's one of the, if not the most popular league in American sports, but it's really done a lot of work this year and kind of looking to redefine what a football player looks like. And they've really, they've opened up NFL Africa camps in, in Ghana and are expanding to Kenya. And I just think, and as, as well as highlighting campaigns that focus on women in the sport, like flag football and the NFL's uh, tied to that. It just feels like the league has done a great job on building on the strength they already have to kind of widen its scope and scale uh, beyond what we traditionally think of when we think of the NFL and who your typical football fan and typical football audience is. Yeah, the NFL international like pipeline stuff is is interesting because the NBA's had a lot of success with that in terms of like NBA Africa and the kind of transfer program there. And it probably also behooves them to like improve their pipelines because less and less kids are playing football in the US coming up for injury reasons like that. People don't know about CTE abroad. Hey, flag football is huge now. Like they're really pumping that as well as like a participation. I don't know if it's the gateway to, or maybe they're changing the sport going forward a little bit tweak by tweak. Right. Certainly the flag football is opening up to 50% of the population in in women playing a a flag football. And I believe it's even being considered as an Olympic sport at some point, or it's being pitched as one. But anyway, the NFL has got its hands in all that and, and, and really working to, yeah, expand that audience and potential player pool, as Josh said. Did you see the Toy Story game this past weekend? That was awesome. Yeah, for those who... Yeah, exactly. For those who don't know, the Jaguars and the Atlanta Falcons played in London uh, over the weekend, uh, as they've they've done for a lot. But they had this simulcast that was basically, I I don't know, is some sort of basically like took the game and put it into like Toy Story format in real time, where it looked like they were playing in Andy's room in the game. And it was really cute. My husband showed it to me against my will, and I was really (laughs) grumpy. And then I actually loved it. I was like, oh, this it's awesome. really, I mean, kind of like in to do that in real time in a way that was so interesting and for, is really a 
technical feat. Like that was pretty incredible. Absolutely. And I mean, I think we often credit Major League Baseball as like the techie sports league, but certainly NFL, like this was a huge I've always thought of the NFL as kind of a little over serious, a little a little too buttoned up, and they've kind of come a long way in in, in loosening that up a little bit. And and this is just a, a, a prime example of that. Not, not you know, it's they're taking the sports seriously, but maybe not themselves so seriously. And also take but taking seriously the idea of making sure it's entertaining to as many people as possible. And I don't know, I thought it was cool. I don't really watch football, and that got my attention. Do you have any other quickly, like any other favorites that we didn't mention? Fair Trade USA, which is like a- I wrote that entry too. Sorry. I, I feel like I should have pointed out at the beginning that I contributed to this package. <laughs> I should have pointed out at the beginning to thank you for contributing to the package. <laughs> so thank you. Yes. No, uh, Fair Trade. I, I'm not even going to read it yet. I'm, I'm just going off the top of my head right now. But the one thing about Fair Trade USA that I love is A, that they're expanding their program of if for those who don't know, is uh, um, basically treating uh, workers um, and, and working conditions as uh, human beings that are living wages and and, and actually uh, uh, you know healthy, safe working environments and and certifying these so so companies can be secure in the knowledge that their products are being made as responsibly as possible. But they're kind of like the. In terms of responsible business, responsible labor practices, a little like the the intel of that. I, that's how I think of it anyway. It's like they're not like a brand that sells anything. But if you see their mark, it's like there's a trust and a shorthand there that they've established over years of work and and certainly expanding over this past year into uh, different product categories. Uh, I believe more apparel and, and coffee and elsewhere that it just shows that the 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 demand is there and that the trust that they built is really paying off in, in that expansion. You also have your own brand. For those who don't know, Jeff has a like surfing brand, like they sell surfboards and clothes or whatever. And I'm curious whether any of the brands that matter inspired you. Oh boy. Uh, well, first it's a tiny, tiny, I live way up on the East coast of Canada in a place called Prince Edward Island where the surfing is not great, but I'm close to Nova Scotia where it is great. And it's kind of the joke we saw me and a few friends started this, uh, Rustico surf club. It's, uh, named after the little village we live in and it's part sort of social club part, you know, like t-shirts. And like I guess that we, we do have surfboards from positive vibe warriors out of San Diego, another great brand to check out. Mostly all our own stuff, little designs and stuff. But I think what I learned the most is that what we, in our tiny, tiny little way, is like just know kind of who you are and 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 not try to be something you're not. Like in all our communication, in all our how we talk to people, we know that this isn't like a surf mecca or anything, and we're very aware of that. And that's kind of the joke. <laughs> like I'm not trying to be. We're not trying to be something we're not. And I think that to me is the best starting point for a lot of these brands is like that self-awareness and then how that's communicated. Those are the kind of the the goals or the aim for anyone, inclu- including our tiny little outfit. This was great. We're going to take a quick break, followed by my interview with Bobby Hundreds. To start off, and I obviously interviewed you about your book, NFTs are a scam slash NFTs are the future. There was some news last week that I thought was public knowledge, but I guess isn't that 95% Digital collectibles may be worth it. And I figured I'd just start with that. I made like a quip about it because 
you know, the critics or the naysayers have really enjoyed saying NFTs are worthless. Why would anyone want any of these? They have no value. Like all NFTs have no value. And then last week they mm -hmm. said, well, 95% of these have no value. And I'm like, oh, so you're, now you're saying 5% of them do have value. I'm like, I thought it was 0%. <laughs> and now somehow there's a few that to you have value. I'm like, you got to pick a lane. But yeah, it was it was really funny to me. I like you know a lot of people obviously tagged me. A lot of friends DM'd me that story. Look, this is like a real like braggadocious redemptive moment for people who hated NFTs to say, "I told you so." Right. But you're somewhere in the middle. So were people like you know, "Fuck you, Bobby Hundreds," or were they yeah. like, "Oh, you were right." Yeah, oh. like people who aren't. <laughs> fully reading the things that I write. They only see my name and they put it up against NFTs and they're like, oh, this guy is fully radicalized in this way where he thinks they can do no wrong. And I'm like, clearly you haven't read. Like the people who are saying, what do you have to say about this? I'm like, I wrote an entire book. I want to come back to NFTs, but I actually want to talk about your career and how you came to starting an NFT project. And that all starts with the hundreds. Yeah, 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 yeah. How did you get started? And for our listeners, what is The Hundreds? Yeah, The Hundreds is a clothing company. Like, that's the simplest way to put it. And then if we're going to get more specific, it's a streetwear brand. It's been around for 20 years, based here in Los Angeles. And in time, when streetwear wasn't even really a widely used industry word. At that time, there were skateboarding clothes, and then there was urban clothes. Those were the genres or the sectors in the industry, and they were code for clothing for white kids or clothing for black kids, which it was funny because Ben and I are not black or white. The beauty of that time was that the industry and, and brands and corporations at that time were trying to really compartmentalize and silo young people into these categories, you know, just to make it easier as far as marketing went. It made it easier to sell to them, to capitalize on them. But then you had a generation like ours, which was largely mixed, largely brown, largely people of color that were, you know, never really had been spoken to, you know, from, let's say, the skate and surf angle. And then you had urban brands that, you know, hadn't been necessarily aligning with white demographics in a specific way. And our generation knew that young people could be exposed and interested and appreciative of all subcultures and interests. When we came into the fray, we were like, well, we skate yeah, but we also listen to hip-hop, you know? And so what kind of a brand is that? There was this really awkward identifier at the time called Skurban. Like, the fashion industry was trying to, and it was like a really <laughs> short-lived word. It was ugly. It was Skurban. Let's skate and urban. And then eventually everyone just got very comfortable with the word streetwear. I can't believe that didn't catch on. <laughs> I know, right? It's just so hip and cool. Like You can't tell like old men in a boardroom didn't come up with that word. You know, streetwear was symptomatic and emblematic of what was going on in broader culture. You see that happening now with music. It's hard to relegate bands or artists to certain categories these days, even gender fluidity. It is just like another example of how generations now are like existing outside of traditions, norms, systems that were set in place, you know, for whatever reason. I like the way you put it. I think that 
from my perspective, at least, I've seen obviously an explosion of interest in streetwear over the past maybe 10 years. Yeah. Is that fair to say? There's always this debate of who is streetwear, what is streetwear, whatnot. Our understanding of streetwear came about in the late 70s, early 80s. It really was catalyzed by surf brands, so more or less white culture brands, beach culture brands that were also being influenced and inspired by what was happening in hip-hop culture and graffiti at the time. And so it was the mixing and the merging of these subcultures. Stussy also did the same. And arguably, Stussy was the first quote-unquote streetwear brand. It's not like they were claiming streetwear back then, but they were a surf brand inspired by what was happening in hip-hop in New York and then eventually Tokyo and around the world. But when we were coming up, you know, we were really looking at brands like Stussy, Fresh Drive, Extra Large, Gat, a lot of the graffiti rave brands. And so when we were coming back in the early 2000s, we were kind of tipping our hat to the 20 years prior of what we had seen in streetwear. We never had any impression or inkling that it would become mainstream and it would become large runway fashion, which is what it did. Finally, I think the zeitgeist caught up to this idea of young people could wear anything. I remember even back when we were starting, women customers coming to us saying, I don't feel comfortable in apparel that necessarily like hugs our silhouettes or shows off curves or you know presents us as being sexualized. And we like this type of boxier, loose-fitting, baggy streetwear clothing because maybe I don't feel comfortable with like the, the way that the world wants to look at my body, right? And so that was like another breakthrough for us. And I think that was also a part of streetwear coming into the fold because it was doing something for a lot of young people who were saying, I want to be a brand owner, an entrepreneur. I don't want to just support these corporations blindly walking around advertising their logos on their on my chest. I want to be my own brand and company. And so um, streetwear is also going through a little bit of an identity and existential crisis trying to figure out what it is. Yeah, I was. so I was going to ask you about that. I live in a leafy neighborhood in Brooklyn that is pretty diverse. It's called Fort Greene. On my street, I live on just off DeKalb Avenue. There's a Supreme sticker on the sign. And I'm always like, this neighborhood is like full of young parents. Like, it's just not very cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to hear about the sort of streetwear in crisis that you're talking about. Oh, my God. Isn't that like that image encapsulates it all, right? Yeah. I see the same. Like, there are moments like that where I'm like, that kind of signifies exactly where we're at right now with streetwear. <laughs> like, seeing something like that. You know, or seeing like a dad at pickup, you know, at exactly. school, like wearing like a palace sweatshirt or something like that. And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, like, this is where we are. Um, for every generation, there has been this moment or this inflection where the consumers or the collectors or the advocates say streetwear is dead, you know, for whatever reason. 2003 is when the hundreds started and a lot of our peers started figuring out their brands. And at that time, the one thing that differentiated us from the generation before 
was that we were really taking advantage of the internet. And we wanted to share the subculture with as many people as possible through the web. That was a, one of those moments where a lot of the OGs and the people who had been in the game for the last 10 to 15 years prior to 2003 were saying, streetwear is dead. We have brands like The Hundreds coming in now, taking something that was very much an underground culture, something that was supposed to be off the beaten path, and bringing it to the front line, bring it to the main stage. And so that was a moment. Mm -hmm. And then for us, you know, there was like when the celebrities and the rappers really started like, you know, styling streetwear into music videos, you know, that was another moment for generations like ours saying streetwear is dead, you know. And then when Paris took a hold of it, we were like streetwear has changed. And when Kanye did his thing, so every generation has, there's been a moment where people's like, well, it's not what it was, right? Like every year that Supreme's been around, you'll find people who were wearing it two years ago saying it's not cool anymore. They were saying that in 2009. They were saying it in 2003. You know, we were saying that in 2003 when we started the hundreds. That's why we started the hundreds because we were like, oh, Supreme's over. Now it's our turn, right? And so (laughs) that's a part of it because there's so much elitism and snobbery and just the way the attitude, youth culture and attitude work within subculture, it's always been a part of the alchemy of streetwear is that you need to have young people who are discovering it for the first time saying, this is cool, this is what distinguishes me from my peers. And then you need people who are a little bit of veterans or you know, to feel like that they have a little bit more skin in the game to be able to say, oh, I was here before everybody else. <laughs> you know, It's the version of, I listened to this band before they hit the radio, mm-hmm. you know, like that's all. And so you need both of those things going on in order for a brand to have lore and to start you know, building a legacy. Your brand has obviously managed to stay alive through all this. You know, you mentioned churn, but like the hundreds is still around. Yeah. That that can't be said for a lot of streetwear brands. And I'm curious how you navigated that from like a business or design perspective. Yeah, we've been around for 20 years and which, you know, in streetwear years is like 200 years. So it's like it is kind of crazy. It's, um, you know, I'm a product of the hardcore punk scene and hardcore bands are the same. Like they're almost designed to be ephemeral. When streetwear brands kind of stick around, right, and 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 they have this legacy, it there's always like a little bit of a, an awkward adolescent stage, you know, like from the age of, you know, from year 10 to like into the teens, which we went through, where, you know, people are like, ooh, you're kind of in this weird, uncomfortable area where, you know, young people are like, oh, you guys are an old brand for old people, and then old people are like, I kind of used to wear that when I was eighth grade, and so we weathered that. And when you get through that room and you make it to the other side, then you reach this really wonderful stage, which is like you're a legacy brand and you're just kind of like a classic, right? right? And very few make it through. I think we're very much cognizant and aware and understanding of the fact that, you know, most years are not banner years, right, in business. And if you treat streetwear a streetwear brand like almost like anything else in work and you're not you know, hinging everything on these momentary blips of like dramatic success, 
you know, and it's more just like, let's just get through, you know, you're disciplined enough to know that the bumps are a part of the road, that, you know, it's most of it is surviving before you get to the thriving, mm -hmm. right? So I talk a lot about that. So I talk about it in my book. You know, it's all about surviving and thriving, and but most of your life is just going to be surviving. And then you're going to like, all that work's going to pay off for like a season or two, right? <laughs> but it's like, are you okay just understanding that the work is the work and that it's not all like amazing and like sensational and you're like a rock star all the time and you treat it as such. You just show up and do the work every day, even if no one's paying attention to you, are you okay with being in the shadows? And I love that, you know, because to me, I, the reason why streetwear ever existed was because we were in the shadows. We weren't in the spotlight. We weren't meant to be the main star, the pop star, the number one on the billboard charts. We were meant to be playing the side stages. And so I'm very comfortable there. And so, you know, I think we've treated it as such. We've surrounded ourselves by really amazing young creative people constantly every generation there's a churn internally within the company to keep us fresh relevant and excited and inspired to do the work i think our community is really solid we've just been very honest and personal throughout the last 20 years from the very beginning our very first time we got asked to speak anywhere was at UCLA and a guy stood up in the back of the room and, you know, we were only in like year two, let's say. And he said, how do you foresee yourself sticking around in 15 to 20 years in this business, you know, that can just kind of chew you up and spit you out? And I was just like, I don't think we're ever on trend. I don't think we're ever the coolest in the room. I don't think we're like the hippest or the best design. Like I'll be on, you know, but like, I think we are the most honest, the most communicative and the most personal. And I think people never go out of style. Like good friends never go out of style. You know, like you stick with friends as they change and they grow up and they become different people, but you stick with them because you believe in them and they're honest and they're personal with you. And I was like, we're just going to treat this brand as such. Like the people who are our customers, we treat them as friends. We treat them as people that we want to hang out with and we just tell them everything that's going on. And so even if something feels a little unnatural or we feel like we're taking a different path, we walk them through it and explain. And so they will support us because they believe in us as friends and we do the same with them. We, we listen to them and we treat them as friends. And really that's what I think has carried us through all these years is that we've just looked at it as this relationship with the customers. And that's what we call community. You know, we're, we're coming to the end of our time. I guess my last question, this is really open-ended, but, you know, you've got Family Style Fest is one of your initiatives. You're also, you have Fireside Fridays on social media. Um, but, but tell us, A, what to look out for when it comes to the hundreds and Atom Bomb, and also, B, where we should find you or tune in. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So much going on. <laughs> uh, the Hundreds, the brand, is celebrating 20 years this year. So we have a lot of collaborations and special projects and events that are continuing to unroll. I can probably hint at the next one. I mean, we're doing a project with the Roxy, which is a club here in LA. It's our 50th. It's our 20th. We have Star Wars collaboration coming up. We have a project with Clot and BBC and Ed Banger Records because it's all of our 20th anniversaries together. So there's a lot of fun, cool, you know, very uh, traditional streetwear collaborations in the fray coming up. We also have started, uh, you know, we have an, another brand called Atom Bomb. And Atom Bomb is more centered around our mascot. That character that we use in the NFT project, it's a cartoon bomb. 
And this is a brand that's set at for a little bit of a different segmentation of customer. It's meant to be for a little bit of a younger audience. It's sold in different stores. We sell this in Zoomies, which is a mall store, a shopping center store that, you know, we're in hundreds of these doors throughout the country. So there's I didn't, you know, I didn't realize they were sold at different stores because I've just seen them online. Atom Bomb is sold nationwide and, and more and more worldwide. And so you'll be able to get your hands on Atom Bomb specific product. We look at it as like Mickey Mouse to Disney, like the hundreds is Disney, Mickey Mouse is Atom Bomb. And so we're really starting to lean into him and his characters as IP. You know, you can foresee entertainment down the line, yeah, literature, I was say, publishing, cartoon soon, gaming, it's all in the works. Um, and then uh, Family Style is our annual food and fashion festival. It's the only one of its kind. Uh, we're really proud of it. We partner Michelin star restaurants, award-winning chefs, the best in the world, with streetwear brands and designers. They make product. They make food together. It's a one-day event. It's Sunday, October 8th. Uh, here in Los Angeles, this is our fifth year doing it. And some of the marquee uh, restaurants we have, we have Evan Funky involved with Funky and, and John and Vinny's, Katz's Deli's coming in out of New York. We have Boya Day. We got some like really amazing Young Bond Society. Um, and then streetwear fashion-wise, we have Awake, we have Kids Super, Union, Verdi, Nike's involved. So um, it's just a fun, It's I, I can't think of many events where they cater to kids who are three years old all the way to 83 years old, right? And so, like, there's something for everybody at this event, and we love to bring people to – that's the whole point of the hundreds, community, bringing people together. What better way to bring people together than around food? Well, I won't be in L.A., but I would kill to go. <laughs> you really have to figure out a way to go. I'm promising it'll be worth it. I know. <laughs> Again, Bobby, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. We are back with Jeff, and it's time to wrap up the show with Keeping Tabs. A reminder, this is where each of us shares a story, trend, or company we are following right now. And Jeff, since you're our guest, what are you keeping tabs on? I was going to reference, I'm going to go both ways here. Do I'm going to say, I wrote about Yeti and a new film uh, uh, grant that they teamed up with Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Ch Vesser Holly, his, his directing partner in their production company, to fund uh, new documentary filmmakers. They make a lot of amazing short films, and I thought that was a great brand move. Check it out on fastcompany.com. But right now, what I'm going to say I'm keeping tabs on is Canadian legend Maddie Matheson has a new food company that called Madison Food Company and his hot sauces. And I just feel like this guy, I'm keeping tabs on this guy because we wrote about how he's trying to build a little empire, a weird- What a renaissance. Profane, tattooed food media empire. And his videos and his products are just keep rolling out. And his latest one, I'm just hoping it hits more stores because how whatever he puts his hand on is just super weird and fun. Yeah, that's fascinating. Sorry, guys. Why is he a Canadian legend? Well- how much time do we have, guys? Uh, let me get into <laughs> There's it. There's a lot. First of all, all you got to do is go to his uh, Instagram or YouTube page and see some of his instructional cookbook and cooking videos. They are hysterical. We should also say, for those who, who may not know Maddie Matheson, you would most likely know him from being a co-star on The Bear. He's an executive producer, too. And an executive producer. He plays Fats uh, on The Bear. That's cool. Uh, he's great in the show. And then he had like he had a show on Vice, Vice before, I'm pretty sure. And it's like a Canadian restaurateur, mainly in Toronto, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like it's like a high-end, one of the 
most highly rated restaurants right now in Canada and Toronto called Private Steve Food Palace. And he's also got a burger joint. His YouTube shows are still cranking out. And he like has a cookware line and obviously the new barbecue sauces I was talking about. He's buddies with like Brad Leone and oh, appears yeah. on his, okay. his I channel. I got to check this out. Josh, what are you keeping tabs on? Oh, well, you know me. I love reality television. So, of course, I'm keeping tabs on The Golden Bachelor, which launched last it's week. It's really sweet. I, I, it is really I've sweet. I've really been enjoying it. Do you know this what The Golden guy, Bachelor is, Jeff? No idea. It's the Bachelor. Oh, so the Bachelor franchise in uh, has launched a new product <laughs> called the Golden Bachelor, which is I believe he's like 70, 72 years old. It's yeah. like baby boomer bachelor. Oh, I thought I thought it, is he a virgin? <laughs> <laughs> That's the golden no, ticket bachelor. That's yes. That's the, the next one. That's, we should. Co- that's that's the next brand. Yeah. So the golden bachelor is this guy named Gary. His name's spelled G E R R Y. So it's like I don't know if it's Jerry, Gary, or Gary. I'm gonna go. With it's Gary. pronounced Gary, which is messed up. It's weird to me. But anyways. He's a widower from Indiana who's looking to find his person to retire with. Seventy, he looks yeah, amazing. Yeah, he's an attractive man, and there's a lot of sweetness to it. There's obviously, like, you know, it's a Bachelor franchise, so it's a little bit messed up uh, in general, but uh, it's a little exploitative, I should say, in a lot of ways. But it's interesting to watch because, like, everyone now on the regular Bachelors is, like, basically media-trained in some example. Like, they're all people they all who came up with social media. They all yeah. want to be influencers. And now that's removed completely with this, or for the most part with this. And it's kind of nice to see, like, it actually feels like real people, for an instance, which is, I think, what the franchise is going for. I think it's a great move. Uh, from what I've seen, it's gotten great ratings so far. Uh, which, uh, not that, I don't know necessarily how I feel about applauding and celebrating the Bachelor franchise for continued success, given maybe some of the damage they, that they've done. But man, I love I love the reality TV show, as problematic as it is. Me too. First thing it made me think of was one of the th- issues that were raised during the pandemic in terms of long-term care facilities and old people and the whole idea that like we shuffle off old people and don't think yeah. about them. But I think we do that large a lot of times culturally, like culturally, like they're not in pop culture as much. But this is like a cool way to like, I don't know, humanize senior citizenship, like yeah, uh, totally. beyond like in our own families. I think it's cool. No, all these contestants have such like rich lives and interests. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I remember on the last episode, like Faith, one of my favorites, I think she's going to win. Oh, um, I love her. Saying yeah. like a song. She was really good. You know what I mean? They all are like so interesting. Which is unlike kind of the regular thing, which is a lot of, and this is like no yeah. shade to like 25. There's some like 25 year olds who do like lots of incredible things, but you're 25. You haven't lived that much. So most of them yeah, are pretty much totally. like the same thing, have the same stories. And you're always like, there's always this trope of like pushing people to share like what's their like big basically what's their trauma, like, their trauma, their vulnerability. And it's like a lot of the times, some people are very real stuff, uh, which always feels kind of icky relating to it. But then like the amount of times people are just like, 
I had a relationship and we broke up and now I just have trouble letting people in. My guards just stop. And I'm just like, (laughs) you haven't really like lived through a lot of different things, which is fine. That's your place. You're a content creator from somewhere else or a content creator named Brittany from California or a content creator named Brittany (laughs) from uh, Indiana. Like it's all pretty much the same thing. But this is like people who have like lived lives and are interesting. And like, especially with like the women Women coming on the show, we're so, especially in Hollywood, we're so it's so misogynistic to like pit women into this place after they turn a certain age of like you are no longer a, a, a romantic being. You are purely a plutonic. You're mm-hmm. a mother. You're a grandmother. You're an aunt. You're this is what you play in this. And this is like, no, these are women who are looking for love. They're coming in. They're, you know, <laughs> romantic beings and that's kind of an interesting thing to do in reality TV show and an interesting zag from the bachelor because reality TV stars are so generic at this point. When are they going to do like like a a midlife crisis version though? Like I'm surprised they went right to golden. (laughs) Like you have like the 25 year olds. I, I, I mean, they should have a full show that is just like 52 year old divorcees. Boom. Everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. All Gen X. Okay, they'll have some. They'll have some stuff to talk about. They'll have stuff they don't care about anymore that the younger ones still really care about. But they'll also they're not quite into the seventies yet. I think it's hilarious. What I'm really interested for is when they have enough of these and they have Golden Bachelor in Paradise. Yes. <laughs> That'll be so good. Yeah, you're going to have like a 52-year-old divorced dad as The Bachelor and he like drives in in a Porsche and eliminates (laughs) everyone who's not 25. Oh, no, no. It it should be like a a eight-year-old Camry. (laughs) (laughs) Like covered in crayons and kid puke. (laughs) this is true everyone's just tired (laughs) most of the dates are just like sitting on the couch they're like what do you want to do on the house at like 10 30 and all the lights are off it's done (laughs) (laughs) the fan the fantasy suites are just like it's just a good nap it's like we go to dinner and then they're out by 9 p.m. That's, <laughs> that's totally, it. totally. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Is what's your keeping tabs? So this was originally a Daily Mail headline, but I just found out that the New York Times also wrote about it, and I'm just going to read you. This <sighs> okay, New York Times so does headline. that make it better? <laughs> I find a Daily Mail article every week. Every week, but listen to the headline: Tom Hanks warns of dental ad using AI version of him. Yes, oh there was a dental. <laughs> there was a weird dental ad on social media. They used an AI Tom Hanks to promote it. That's so funny and strange. Oh my god! He's not I famous think this for is gonna... his teeth. No, <laughs> no. Why would you choose Tom Hanks? Maybe he's just like easy to capture in AI. He's trustworthy. That's weird. But this is probably going to be happening a lot more with the more yeah. More happened like to Gail King too. He wrote on Instagram. He posted a story that said, "Beware! There's a video out there promoting some dental plan with AI version of me. I have nothing to do with it." Which I don't know why is really funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of the things that Tom Hanks thought he would have to deal with in his life, I'm sure this wasn't one of them. But <laughs> here we are. It's a story that really has brought together two of my favorite things to talk about in Keeping Tabs, which is the Daily Mail and <laughs> cosmetic dentistry. <laughs> so, so I felt like it was right in this segment. <laughs> Next week, our interview with Smile Direct Club. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's it for most innovative companies. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Our show is produced by Avery Miles and Blake Odom, mix and sound designed by Nick Torres, and our executive producer is Josh Christensen. Remember again to subscribe, rate, and review, and we will see you next week. Thank you.